You are listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. Infighting is not new to feminism. Who's doing things right? Who's doing things wrong? Who's toxic? Who's good? Who's bad? Who's a phony, a grifter, not an ally? Too right? Too rich? Too academic? Too old? Or too pretty? Has always been up for debate. And potentially a reason to cancel women from the movement. Even within the already marginal, gender-critical feminist umbrella, women are expected to pick sides based on party lines. Women like Posey Parker seem particularly divisive, though I myself have had more than my fair share of trashing, as have many others. Last week, Posey, or Kelly J. Keene, rather, held a Speaker's Corner event in Brighton, which drew the attention of trans activists, as well as many women wanting to speak out about the impact of gender identity ideology on their lives and rights. But it also drew the ire of some feminists who complained that Posey's event and her work more broadly was too closely connected to the right. One of the better responses I read came from Katie Worley, also known as DJ Lippy, a London-based DJ-turned-activist, best known for her work with the feminist collective Make More Noise. She began organizing protests and publicity stunts to fight gender identity ideology back in 2020 and produces a weekly talk show called Wombs with a View, in which activists from across the globe meet to discuss the week's events. You can read her article... Feminism and the Far Left, Let Women Speak, on her site, Make More Noise, which I've linked to in the show notes. Katie, thank you so much for joining me on the Feminist Current podcast today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I, I'm wondering, I, I read your article this week on make more noise um and i'm i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your political history you've talked a bit about your background um in the anarchist movement and you're fighting gender identity ideology um you know tell me a bit about your politics and and your history in these movements so, I mean, politically, I guess I'm a traditional lefty, um, not really been involved in organised left-wing politics until the turf war came along, I suppose. Um, before then, I was just, you know, generally on the left, generally a feminist. Um, but I found going through the discourse around transgenderism, it really challenged a lot of my feminism and my left-wing politics. And I guess in the past few years, they've been challenged through various um, kind of historical events. I think Brexit being the first one, um, Donald Trump, obviously, and then through COVID and in the modern day where we are, I guess it's really challenged a lot of a lot of the beliefs that I held on to and made me question a lot of those, I guess, received wisdoms. Um, 
I was raised by my father was a, a Marxist type. Um, so I always grew up in that milieu. Um, but he was also a domestic abuser. My mother used to have a, a saying, which was uh, communism begins at home. Um, so I think that I've really got an insight into some of the the double standards that can exist in people who can preach one thing uh, on the in the street and then at home have a sort of a different a different set of values, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've I've had a similar experience to you and a, a similar political awakening, I suppose, um, as a devotee of the left for my whole life, really. Um, and then when I became more vocal in feminism, actually, that's when I really started to see how deep misogyny runs on left and on the left and and with left-wing men you know it's really i'm you know and and saying that doesn't mean that misogyny doesn't exist on the right or in other areas misogyny can exist in all sorts of places but i think that for a lot of women who've been involved in the fight for women's rights learning that these people that they were allied with for so long and who supposedly fight for justice and equality and and human rights and against oppression and marginalization are really like really incredibly hateful it's really quite shocking what i've seen and experienced from from left-wing men over the past decade um and yeah the 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 hypocrisy is quite glaring um Tell me more about what happened when you sort of got involved in the fight against gender identity ideology. So my, I first got into it was I was actually friends with uh, Venice Allen. Um, we used to run in similar circles back in London. I was a DJ, I used to have a night. And so we were in, in similar, uh, you know, friendship circles. And then it's been a few years past then. I wasn't living in London, but she kept p- popping up on my Facebook feed, like um, with things like, you know, do women have penises? And I think at that point I was like, yes, Venice, some women do have penises. Um, but it kind of, <laughs> I know, I know, but it, it kind of sparked me off and got me thinking. And then um, I noticed that she was having the event. Um, she had an event in, I believe it was 2017. Um, which was eventually closed down and she went to Speaker's Corner in London um, as a meeting point to go to another venue and Maria McLaughlin was attacked and that's kind of been the 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 torch paper I think to a lot of discourses in the United Kingdom about this about this debate so I heard about it and I went off and I did my research and I spent about six months just reading 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 and then I found a Magdalene Burns video and it was like the final, the final nail in the coffin. And it was like, no, I'm a turf. Um, like these trans right activists have been so horrible to me online. And I've just sort of gone, oh, sorry, sorry. And I've like thought about my female socialization and then been like, no, man, they've, they've played you. So I started, to, I started to get more vocal online. And then one day I was, I was chatting, as you do, and um, I got into a conversation with, uh, a very famous doctor uh, called Adrian Harrop. He's a, a GP in the United Kingdom, and he's basically known for being very, very horrible to women online. 
Um, and I was known as the woman who he doxxed. So there was one point we were having a conversation. Um, I was using my uh, online moniker DJ Lippy because I was a DJ. So I started talking under my name, not realizing exactly what I was doing to my burgeoning DJ career. Um, and and he basically got my name, doxxed me, and said, um, basically, either you know, remove yourself from the internet, or I will not remove this tweet that says your name. Um, obviously, I didn't want my name to get out there because it's a very scary, scary fight to be in. Um, I know that other women had been investigated by the police. I think Posey Parker at that time had been investigated by the West Yorkshire for pol- police for discussing um, the CEO of Mermaids who had taken her son to Thailand for uh, to be castrated when he was 16. Um, so I, I, I wasn't really happy about that. Um, but at the time, I felt like I, I felt like I don't want to be a footnote in this history. I want to be a footprint. You know what I mean? I'm not going to let this fella have the last last laugh and like let that define my contribution. Um, so that kind of spurred me on to want to get more active. Um, but unfortunately, within a couple of a couple of weeks, I lost my Twitter account. I think I was mass reported, um, and uh, from there, I was decided that. Rather than being on Twitter, I'd make a blog. Um, I got together with a couple of women and we made Make More Noise. Um, we launched that. We launched it with a couple of really good articles that got a lot of traction. Um, eventually, that account got taken down. And then I was like, right, well, we need to get, um, you know, we need to get uh, into the real world. So I started putting on events. I think we did four events in the first year that we did them. This was just before COVID. Um, so they were going really well. One of the events was called Detransition, the Elephant in the Room. And that was, uh, I think, a really important event. Um, it was where a lot of the Tavistock clinicians uh, got together and sort of whistle blew and talked publicly about their experiences working for the clinic. Um, I believe Helen Joyce credited that event with being the spur that she she needed to start writing her book, Trans, uh, which has been quite quite influential. Um, in changing some of the discourse and kind of giving a bit of legitimacy to um, some arguments that uh, lesbian feminists and lesbian separatists have been making for about 50 about 50 years now so um, yeah and and that's why I've that's my background I suppose um, so I've been kind of realizing how important these events are not only for giving people a chance to speak but for um, networking, for women to come together and meet each other in real life, um, because that's where you go and you meet people. You can suss out who's who you want to be, um, who you want to form relationships with, who you can work with. Um, I think I think meeting in real life has has been a key to the to the success of Turf Island. Um, has been has been um, these events that have you know allowed people to yeah meet and chat in real life and get out of the uh, social media prison I suppose you know you're so you're so constricted in what you can say how you can say it um and your account and your 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 platforms can be taken away at a moment's notice so I think um I'm, I'm all about real life activism you know boots on the ground yeah um I want to talk to you I mean you wrote this article on your website this week addressing this rift that has been ongoing um in feminism you know particularly i want to talk about the the context of 
the so-called gender critical feminists so women who are advocating for women's sex-based rights and opposed to gender identity legislation gender identity ideology allowing men access to women's spaces if they identify as trans women or simply as women um i mean when did you see this fight begin like for those listening i guess i should explain a bit that you know, what's argued is that feminists should remain allied with the left. They should only work with the left. They shouldn't share platforms with conservative or right-wing people. Um, they shouldn't, I suppose, have right-wing or conservative people at their events. They shouldn't share views with, engage with people who aren't aligned with left-wing values. Um, I, I don't agree with that perspective, but, um, I did once, uh, you know, for a long time when I, I was a socialist and a feminist, I didn't want anything to do with the right, um, or conservatives. And I was very much an advocate for feminists, you know, working with the left and, you know, trying to convince the left of our views and eventually I realized that was never going to work. The left hated yeah. us. They didn't want us. And I wasn't going to fight for their approval anymore. Um, but when did you start seeing that rift? What was, what was happening there? And, and what do you understand that rift to entail? So, I, it, again, it kind of all comes back to, to Posey Parker, uh, Kelly J. Keen Minshew, um, who is at the centre of a storm that's happening now in, in UK, gender-critical, radical feminism. I mean, whatever the milieu is that we have the, the discourse and the uh, debates and the activism from. Um, at the time, I guess it all goes back to um, the uh, when she went to Washington, um, she went over there to try and, I guess, do some politicking, have some meetings, try to make some impact in the USA. Um, at the time, I was there was um, a lot of activity, a lot of hope. We were all together as one in the gender critical movement, and there was a there was a grassroots group called the Resisters, and they were all across the country. And we'd planned this uh, action, and it was going up basically in the middle of the night and putting up uh, woman, adult, human, female T-shirts on like really famous woman statues all over the United Kingdom. Um, and it just so happened that a that action was the same week that uh, she went over to Washington with Venice Lan and Julia Long. Um, and there was a blog written by uh, Jean Hatchett, I believe, I believe is a pseudonym. And basically she sort of, I mean, the, the, the discourse is similar. It's the same discourse that's been happening for a long time. Um, I think Posey went to speak at the Heritage Foundation. There were various other things. Um, and when it happened, it kind of created this this fight. And it, at the time, it, it was a bit like having you know your parents start rowing, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't like this. I like you all. Can you just all get along? Um, and at the time, like I say, we went, we were, had a meeting um, on the Saturday where she'd been, she'd been on the Friday, and the and the blog was released on the Saturday. We were meeting, and I remember at the beginning of the meeting, we were, you know, talking supposed to be talking about the action. And I remember thinking, like, I said to them, like, this is a flash in the pan. Don't worry about it. This will all be passed soon. 
And uh, little did I know that would be uh, the entire split that's been existing from then since now. Um, a lot of the similar people in the groups that I was in, um, the kind of split's been from there. Um, and again, like in the meeting, we spent all the meeting talking about what Posey was doing in America instead of focusing on the practicalities of the action and the publicity and all the things that we needed to be focusing on. Um, and that caused a big rift in, 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 the, in the first sort of major activist group, grassroots group that came along. Um, and it, it's kind of gone on from there, really. Um, and again, it's very similar, very similar arguments that seem to be just saying the right wing are the right wing. And then you say, yeah, I know what the right wing are. And then you'll have an essay about how bad the right wing are, which I'm under no illusions as to what they stand for, what their positions might be, some of their history. Um, but it's just, I just find it incredibly difficult to 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 move forward because there's there's a real lack of, uh, we're not able to, to, to hear, hear each other, I think, when we, when we have these discussions. I mean, I don't even think that words like left wing and right wing mean anything anymore. You know, if they've ever really meant anything, you know, I think they're kind of somewhat arbitrary uh, constructs because many people cross over, many ideas cross over. Um, and I think this is one thing I've struggled with. I mean, it feels like the left wing want to have a certain position, like certain ideas of being framed as a left wing position, things like Brexit. Um, which is a very complicated, very complicated situation, a very complicated discussion. But it's seen as a left wing, um, you know, to, to want to remain in the EU. That's seen as a left wing position. With COVID, you know, I think um, the sort of the discourse was seen as the only reason to oppose vaccines is because you're in QAnon and you've been radicalised online by Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump himself was fully supporting the vaccine uh, mandates and you know all the um the sort of yeah just just things like that and you know trans trans is seen as this left-wing position but actually when you break it down I think it's I think it's more traditionally a right-wing position because it it's uh encoding gender roles into law and replacing sex with gender so um you know I think I think there's a line isn't it what's what's more progressive uh is a is a woman a female personality in a in anybody or any personality in a woman's body you know um so I just I find it really difficult to have because I don't even think we have clear definitions of right wing and left wing anymore um and I think that really breaks down the ability for us to have meaningful conversations um and and take things forward do you think that there is anything valid to feminist concerns about being seen as allied with conservatives or right-wing people, um, you know, so-called far-right groups, you know, like, is there anything that can be lost in terms of our fight for, for women's rights by, you know, having right-wing people at our events or talking to right-wing people or, you know, being friendly with or even sharing some of the same views as conservative or right-wing people? I think, I think there is. And I think there's a difficulty in this discussion because in the United Kingdom, there's a, a totally different political situation as the, the United States. So in the United Kingdom, we don't have a very strong 
uh, like Christian right, um, the right wing is quite, you know, our left wing would be considered right wing in the, in the uh, sorry, our right wing would be considered left wing in the United States. So I think sometimes it's quite difficult to have these conversations because I might be speaking about what's happening in the United Kingdom. And that's a very different conversation to what's happening in the United States. Um, to put that to one side, I think the, the main issue that I see and that I worry about is the fact that they, it, it allows the framing to be had that it's a culture war, it's left versus right. And I think that's the main difficulty with these allyships that I see, if, especially just with regards to the transgender side of things, is that it allows the media to spin a very convenient narrative, which it does all the time, and it shuts down thinking. I think a lot of people are quite reactionary in how they think. They don't really think through the issues. They just they look at what the other side is doing, and then they take the opposite side to that. Um, and I think that's a very valid discussion, and I think it's somewhat more about optics than relationships. Um but I think that gets shut down because it becomes about morality and working with the right and who the right are. And again, it comes down to sort of definitions because a lot of normal conservatives, by some people's imagination, are far right. And 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 um, I think it's it's like there's there's no um, there's no you know we don't we don't always know what we mean when we we use those words. Um, Right. And it seems like the the politics then end up just being in response, you know, rather than formulating our own ideas and um, politics, we're saying, well, we're not that and we're not that. And I don't think that defining ourselves based on what we're not is necessarily all that productive. And I think it's not very thoughtful, to be honest, like to say, oh, well, this person believes this thing that I don't believe. Therefore, I don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, I mean, I don't see I don't even know where this idea comes from that we shouldn't speak to the right wing or we shouldn't speak to people that we don't agree with. I mean, I think that's a very privileged position. Um, Martin Luther King wouldn't have got anywhere if he didn't go and speak to racists, you know, like you have to have these conversations to change people's opinions and 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 I I just I find it all very bizarre I don't know why I'm not allowed to speak to certain people I don't know why I I have to sort of make a public denouncement statement when somebody says something that I don't agree with um and because I refuse to play these games and I can easily be castigated as as not left or right wing or you know and, and I I just I just find them all the more I've thought about it, I've tried to unpick where, where this idea comes from and, and I'd, I'm not actually sure where it all comes from. I'm sure other people have written a lot about it, but it, I find it all quite confusing, actually, when, when you start to break it down. Um, it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. Um, in, your, in your article, you wrote that this rift actually stemmed from a, a divide that goes decades back, um, to the second wave between socialist feminists and lesbian separatists. Can you talk more about that history? Yeah. So, um, I guess it's a similar story to what we're going through now. Um, so in, in the 1960s, there was the, the sort of a cultural revolution. It was the hip time of the hippies and a lot of women were sort of, um, 
I guess, whipped along with it in like peace and love. And at a certain point, they realized that all these right on men who were preaching all these values about equality and liberation. um, When it came to it at home, they were still doing the dishes and they were like, what's going on, guys? Um, And the left wing men's inability to respect the women who were working in their movements is what led to this rift um, where... um, I mean, again, this is like a broad stroke analysis, but like basically some women decided to stay on the left and try and reform it from within. And some women just gave up and decided to try to create woman only spaces, woman only networks. Um, and that kind of was the foundation of, of in the United Kingdom. Um, broadly speaking, in the 70s and 80s, there were the socialist feminists and the the radical feminists and I think they both came from a similar position which was from the left um but um yeah I think the the the, uh, one sector gave up and from that from that milieu uh you had uh Janice Raymond wrote the transsexual empire which was published in 1979 which became the basis from which a lot of lesbian separatists were arguing for many years about a threat they saw uh, with transgenderism and men who uh transvestic men who were saying they, that they were women um and I think that's where a lot of the groundwork was done for a lot of the pushback against against this um yeah against this social trend i suppose so i mean I tend to try to avoid talking about specific people i've tried really hard over the years to stay out of so-called feminist infighting. Um, and in part, that's because I feel like my role as the editor and founder of Feminist Current is to platform all voices of women in this fight and to support all women who are fighting for women's rights. Um, and not to take sides um you know like i i have platformed and interviewed all kinds of women over the past decade who you know maybe i didn't necessarily agree with maybe i didn't like the way that they behaved or the way that they did things but that's not the point you know that's not my role um and but you know i i a lot of this seems centered around one individual which i find really frustrating because i don't think it's purposeful to target individual women um and i don't understand the you know hysteria and the like obsessive focus on posey parker um kelly j so mm-hmm. um i mean those listening probably know who posey is but she has been, you know, a, a well-known figure in the fight against gender identity ideology and for women's rights for a few years now, probably since, I don't know, 2018 or something. Um, and she's been organizing these events, um, these speakers corner events, which y- you attended one of these events recently, um, on September 18th in Brighton. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about those events and, and your experiences um, at, at that event in Brighton. So, yeah, I've been to several of the events. I was um, 
are there for the beginning and the ones in London. Um, and now they've gone on the road and, and outside of London, outside of the Speaker's Corner context, they get a lot of abuse. Trans right activists come and picket them. And depending on the uh, the plans of the police and the ability they have to properly police the events, this can be very different outcomes. They've had two in the north where the police have kept very good distance and managed it very well. Um, I think in part because they've got football hooligans, so they're used to policing um, when they have opposite gangs basically come into town. You've had a couple in the south where the, the, the trans activists have been allowed to come very close to the women um, and violence has occurred as a result of this. Um, I was at the one on in Brighton, um, which was um, s- similar similar pattern basically to all the others in the weeks preceding local anti-fascist and local trans right activist groups put a call out said we must stop Posey Parker by any means necessary and then the event itself I arrived um, before it started and there was already like a about 100 very very angry trans right activists screaming screaming the house down um, and the police there was no sort of line between them and the women um, the women, it was in a park and the women were at one end and they were just sort of encroaching. Um, as, as the event went on, there was a, some black block Antifa um, people came um, and they sort of tried to start to go around the outside. So at certain points, it felt like they were trying to surround us all. It was very, uh, very intimidating, very scary, very chaotic. Um, there were, there were, um, Trans right activists coming across and walking in the group. I asked the police, we asked the police on numerous occasions, can you please remove this person? Um, but they said, you know, no, it's a public space. They've got every right to be there. Um, and in the event, um, there were many people streaming it on their phones. Um, it's, it's, there's, like a, there's almost like a, a media economy at the moment with, with public events, especially when people are Antifa turn up. They just come to film because they know they're going to get good footage. Um, and at that event, uh, there were two people who came from a right-wing group called Hearts of Oak, and they live-streamed the event. In the chaos of the event, we couldn't really manage who was filming, what was happening, because we had missiles, um, we had some a couple of uh, smoke bombs were, were thrown at the crowd. Eventually, three arrests were made. And uh, a man was found with a bag of knives. He was arrested. Um, and, you know, it was it was incredibly difficult for the stewards to manage. We had an all-female all steward team um, who were trying to kind of keep the, keep the peace and keep, keep the group separated. But without the police engagement, it was really difficult to manage that situation. Um, and you've been kind of seeing some of the fallout of this event in the past couple of weeks on Twitter and online. Why? I mean, I'm not familiar with this group, um, Heart of Oaks. Um, I know that there was also controversy around a woman who spoke, a presenter named Sophie Cor... I don't know how to say her last name. Cor- Corican? Uh, Corican. Yeah. Um, why, why were some women upset about that group being present and about this woman speaking at at Posey's event? See, I think this is another difficulty with communication that I see because the format of the event is quite simple. Because women 
are being kicked off uh, off the social media platforms, off Twitter. I'm I'm not I'm not allowed on Twitter anymore. I know you're you're not allowed on Twitter anymore. Um, um, and women have, you know, I, I see a lot of the trans trans rights debate about getting women out of the public sphere, getting them back into the domestic sphere, you know, basically removing their civil liberties as citizens. Um, I think that the idea of the Speaker's Corners events is that we are actually reclaiming the public square. Um, we can, we can't, we might not be able to speak these words on Twitter, but they're still, you know, uh, worthy of respect in a democratic society. We can still speak like this in public. Um, and uh, the the event is an open mic event because so many women have been um, censored and silenced online. It's given them an opportunity to speak their piece. Um, also, it is in a public space, so there is no way that we can control who comes to film. Um, it would be very nice if we could just say to somebody, excuse me, you're not supposed to be there, can you move? But if we, if that would have worked, we would have told all the Antifa types to remove themselves, and I'm sure they would have been very polite and said, oh, sorry, excuse me, I will go. Um, and I think this is, a, this is a difficulty, is that um, it's seen as platforming these people, but actually it's by its nature, it's the platform is open to all. Um, and so when people come to speak, um, you know, there's not much we can do. I've been to many of the events. I've never seen anybody say anything racist or, or you know, anything against minority groups or anything that I would that I would have concerns with. Um, I believe the woman who came, she spoke and she spoke about um, trans right, the you know trans right threat. Um, and this woman, she's she's I think she's 19 years old. She's a working class. Uh, and she speaks out against a lot of left-wing values, which as, as a university student, that must be incredibly difficult. Um, and again, it comes back to this idea that, that like that the platform you share, you have to agree with absolutely everything that somebody says. And I don't really know where this idea comes from. I don't really know why we need to be protected from certain ideas, because most most of the women there are on the left. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being from the right as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm not meaning to make that argument but like the idea that if somebody comes and says something that you're automatically going to agree with it I don't I don't really know where this comes from um, and I think there's a real breakdown of communication when it comes to this because there seems to be an argument about morality and the way that the event should be without recognizing that it's the format and the tactic of the event itself and if you managed it in the way that was expected of us with like pre-vetted speakers who had the right left-wing opinions or what have you, then it, it it wouldn't work. You know, you'd have to stop the event. And um, and I, I think that there's a real, I find a real frustration with trying to have this argument because it, then it breaks down into kind of like you, you're agreeing with all these right-wing views, you know, why don't you condemn them? Um, silence is violence, you know. It's almost like a witchcraft accusation, you know. You'll be you'll be drowned either way if you if you put your hands up and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah." Then it's admitting guilt, and then if you deny guilt, then you, that's um, that's like a sign to condemn you. Um, it feels very puritanical to me, and I, and, and like I say, I, I wonder if this goes right back to the roots of the left wing in America, which is from the Puritans who left the United Kingdom after the Civil War and, you know, that, that sort of founding principle has, has just 
rifted throughout history and and now we're we're here and we're having this purity spiral that seems to occur every time somebody speaks to somebody that you don't like you know well and i wonder how productive it is to to silo ourselves within the left and to refuse to speak to people who aren't like us i mean i think that a big problem with the radical feminist movement for sure over the past you know you know since the 70s is that it hasn't really been able to reach the mainstream um and i've seen that a lot in my work in feminism which is you know that we're not if we try to force everyone to agree with our entire ideology and all of our political beliefs from, you know, capitalism through to, uh, you know, perspectives on feminism and, you know, I don't know what else, immigration, who we're voting for, the parties we support, I think that we won't really get very far. No, definitely. I mean, I think it's a sad thing for a lot of people on the left to admit, but definitely in the UK, most people in the UK are either centre or right of centre. Um, the way these women talk, I, I mean, I wonder if have they ever got chatting to somebody at a bus stop? Do you know what I mean? Like the average person in the street, that the, like the views that they have are not aligned with, you know, let's say certain a certain like North London intel, inter, left wing intelligentsia idea of how people should think. And I mean, one of the reasons when we started make more noise, we were trying to um speak to women who might not be um might not hear themselves or be able to understand a lot of the traditional feminist discourse um and you have to sort of break down the the ideas into everyday language um i'm aware that in the united kingdom the average the average reading age the the reading age of the average citizen is that of an 11 year old and so you, we really have to, I think, change some of the language and approaches we use. Um, I was mindful um, in, in Manchester, I had quite a few, like, I don't want to say normal, but you like normie working class mates. And a lot of them, like, they totally rejected feminism to them. That was like man-hating. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like being a, being a Nazi or a, a men's right activist because it was, it was that's that's the way that they they viewed it but when i um spoke to them about a lot of the ideas of feminism things like you know unfair labor like the emotional labor that you have to give in the family the way you're always expected to do certain things and stuff and i spoke about it on their terms a lot of them were like yeah yeah i agree i agree with that and and i think that there is an op- there's a there's, there's a real like open market there for so many so many women who aren't on the left, they need feminism just as much, if not more so, than these women on a lot of the women on the left who, you know, have this intellectual background to understand certain things. Like, and I just, I, I find it just so frustrating because um, I don't think that they deserve to be locked out of the feminism or locked out of conversations. I think we should be able to speak to lots of different people, um, and. You know, I think a lot of left-wing discourse, it's kind of Eurocentric. It's based on this um, particular Marxist socialist sort of position. And I think that radical feminism or, or feminism more broadly has the ability to take 
takes seed in every every woman community all over the world. I think if you if you if you talk to them in the right way, you know, you can you can win these women over. And and I just think that it's such a it's, it could be such a lost opportunity. And 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 I just I have faith in a lot of the a lot of the arguments of feminism at the core. I think are true, and I think that a lot of women, when they hear them, will agree with them. Um, and you know, I think right wing women, if 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 we are to believe what the left wing say about the right and right wing women, then surely they're the people that need feminism more than than anybody else. So I don't know why we can't speak to them and have conversations. You know. Well, yeah, and I think that there's basic issues that most regular people, most working class women, you know, who might be conservative or right wing will understand as wrong or harmful to women, like things like prostitution, surrogacy, and, you know, this gender identity stuff, which is having a majorly harmful impact on women's rights and spaces and i think that if we just talk about these issues then we would have a lot of people on board with these fights um against women's oppression which you know that's why prostitution happens because of marginalization and misogyny um and of course poverty and and class and and male power and dominance like all of these feminist ideas that will be obvious like most most people most regular people that haven't been indoctrinated by third wave or leftist ideology to you know to to tell them they have to repeat these mantras like sex work is work and it's a woman's choice to prostitute herself and so on and so forth most people are going to understand prostitution is bad for women and we should try to stop that exploitation and i think it's it's crazy to alienate those people because they aren't ideologically aligned with all these other you know academic ideas and this jargon and every single other issue and party that that these women want to promote yeah 100 percent. i mean this is the thing, isn't it? It's like the, the beliefs come in a bundle, but while while radical feminists want to bundle up um, things like immigration or labor rights or all these other left-wing ideas into, into like, I guess, their relationships in the transgender line, um, other people on the left would see pro-sex work positions, pro-sorgi positions as integral to being on the left. And I think maybe some of it comes from like an idea back in the day, which was like trying to unite different oppressed groups. So saying like, you know, um, black liberation should work with, uh, should work together with gay liberation and all these things. And we should form a block, a powerful block to push back against our joint oppressions, which had a common cause. And I feel like that idea was transmogrified into these separate beliefs like so like I went back to said at the beginning like things like you have to believe um you have to want to be uh you have to want to remain in the EU you have to um believe in um all the COVID legislations um you have to believe that trans women are women um and and I, and I don't think it serves us and I think that a lot of people are 
just basically going to could the danger is that they drop all of those beliefs in one go because they just say you know what I'm never going to live up to your I'm never going to live up to your perfect ideal and 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 again a lot of these left wing these left wing positions when they're broken down actually aren't left wing positions in aren't left wing positions and they don't actually make much sense um how much do you think that this current rift um this you know there were a number of women in the UK who as we discussed earlier were critical of the Brighton event of Posey's Brighton event um because they said you know the heart of oaks showed up but how much does this have to do with politics and how much does this have to do with Posey um and the fact that I suppose she's a controversial figure in feminism. I think she is. And I'll tell you what, there were sometimes some things she says where I'm just like, oh, no, no, I don't agree with that. Um, but like what her core message is so powerful. And I think that like that's what people don't understand is they think that I, I if I agree with her on one thing, I must agree with her on the other. Um, and and I think that, I, I think that, there are two things going on. I do think a large part of it is personal. Um, it is about they don't like, they, I don't want to say they're jealous, but I do think there is an element of jealousy in there because I can't understand it in any other way. But I think it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, sometimes you want to attack the person rather than the idea. And if you can take down the person, you can take down the idea. I think that a lot of the Posey attacks are almost red herrings because they're not attacking what they're attacking is her position. They're attacking her very firm position, which actually goes back to the, the lesbian separatist idea that uh, trans is uh, a fetish. It's not about a vulnerable minority. It's not about a delicate balancing of rights. It's about men's rights, men's sexual rights. And um, that, that uh, sort of right grab, um, and so I think it's very convenient and it's very easy if you want to remove that position, that political position from the argument, that hard line that many on the grassroots, many lesbians as well. I think that's one reason why she is so popular with lesbians is because she takes that hard line position rather than addressing that issue and having an argument about issues like autogynephilia, um, uh, paedophilia. Uh, pornography it's a lot easier to just uh, shoot the messenger so I think there's there's a bit of both happening there but I think mainly what it is is that it's the message that she takes forward rather than her herself yeah I mean I think a lot of her popularity has to do with the fact I mean she's very witty and she's a she's a great and engaging speaker but she's also totally unapologetic um, mm -hmm. which is interesting to observe because we uh, us we feminists have been told for so long that you know we have to make our message palatable that we have to be polite and we shouldn't say mean things like trans women are men um and you know that these men have a fetish <laughs> and that these men are predatorial or dangerous um you know we're asked to say polite things like 
male-bodied people and female-bodied people, and I refuse to play those games. But that message doesn't seem to have changed anyone's mind. I think just being <laughs> forthright and truthful has gained more traction. Yeah, I think it makes... I think that language was useful at the beginning. It opened up a lot of doors and gave us language to start to speak about it. But going forward, I think it needs to be dropped because I think it makes the message quite difficult because if you say trans women are men, then it's very it's very obvious why you don't want them in women's spaces. But if you say they're trans, then it's it's about trans people not being allowed in women's spaces, which has never been the root of the argument it's always been about men in women's spaces so I, th I don't think it works and again I come back to like my uh, my mates like my Brexit voting mates um who haven't been to unit I didn't even have to explain to them the reason why uh trans women weren't women straight away they were like no they were men and I, and I think it says I think it says something to the intellectual milieu and the class background of the women who are making those arguments that maybe they don't have very many working class friends or women who who you know women and men who actually live in a very like you know physical world uh, they're not able to have intellectual debates about the nature of womanhood you know it's it's quite black and white yeah um, i mean that's been my experience too and in, in just talking to regular people that i meet in my life you know at the bar um out in the street, you know, wherever. I meet people all the time that come from different backgrounds and different places. And and most people, you don't need to convince them that trans women are men. They know that they're men. Um, there's no ideological or political argument around that. And I think that you're right. I, I sort of wonder how much these modern left-wing feminists are actually in touch with regular working class people or middle class people, whatever, just regular normal people out in the world who are not super politicized. Um, and I think that it reveals that they're in a political silo. And I think that's quite elitist. Oh yeah. 100%. I think, I mean, I speak for myself it took me six months of deep, intensive research to figure out that uh, men weren't women. And I think a large part of that is due to my uh, university, my expensive university education, you know. I was the first person in my family to go to university. Um, I went to Goldsmiths College, <laughs> which, for those who might not know, it's kind of, it's an art college. It's very, very liberal, very left-wing Um and and I think that it's almost like indoctrination, and it was very post a lot of postmodern thought, a lot of Foucault, and a lot of those kind of things, because a lot of post structuralism, and it, it it's great, and I, I still think there's a lot of value in those ideas, but it it confuses your mind, and it and it and it makes you think around corners that don't need to be there, you know, and it's and I think that this is this is where the fight will be will be had, I think, and the pushback will be just to to um to fight it on your own terms because they want you to keep using this convoluted language because that's how they know they can win because it's quite confusing and normal people don't understand what the debate is about, you know. For example, when you talk about trans women in, in, in women's spaces, many people on the sidelines might not know. They might think that a trans woman 
is a woman who is identifying as a man. Um, they might not understand our point. So I think we have to be quite clear um, and just be less scared of what people are going to say about us because they're going to call us horrible names no matter what we say. I think what's been really interesting actually is to watch the the groups that get a lot more um, violence, that are attacked a lot more. It's the ones who moderate themselves who use this particular language. Um, and I think that that there's a there's kind of a reason for that, you know, and I think that um we should yeah, we should just we should just be less afraid to speak our minds and speak our truths and hopefully um the activism that Kelly J does has opened the door and shifted the Overton window. Um but it's it's just very difficult to to move things forward when that position has now been so badly smeared as right wing with all these attacks. Tenuous pieces of information are threaded together to create this meta narrative, which I just don't think reflects reality. Um, and, and I think that we need to be quite mindful of, of just, I guess, think keeping us, keeping our eye on the ball and, um, what, what's really going to work and what's really going to be effective with, um, this argument coming to the mainstream and having conversations with people outside of the left wing or far left bubble. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have always tried to take the position where if I don't like the work that another woman in this movement is doing, that's okay. I'm going to do things differently. Like I don't, I'm not going to try to, ruin or trash or destroy what she's doing i just think i think this kind of infighting is so counterproductive and and it's a major distraction for the women who are doing it i mean think where else you could be spending your energy rather than trying to trash another woman's event i mean you could be planning your own event and i i know that people don't like each other and people are awful to each other. And I have big disagreements with the way some people do things and the things they say, but we don't have to say it all on social media. I don't think, I mean, when it gets to something really important and, um, you know, we want to write something critical about language or approach or, or something that's going on. I obviously think that's okay. I don't think that people need to shut up about their critiques, but I think that when it becomes about targeting one specific woman, um, and then also targeting anyone who defends or attaches themselves to her, I mean, that's happened to me because I'm friends with Posey. I support her work. I don't agree with everything that she says. Um, and she does things differently than maybe I would, but I totally support what she's doing. Um, and I think that she's making a difference and I like her as a person, you know, she's my friend. I like her. Um, but because, I've refused to reject her and distance myself from her because I've done events with her. I've been super harassed and attacked and canceled by a bunch of these left-wing feminists. And I find that, I mean, really pretty, pretty disappointing. (laughs) I'm I'm in 100% agreement. And I feel like that's something that's happened with me throughout throughout my 
I guess career not career I don't get paid but you know my, my history in the movement um I never wanted to turn around and start you know I don't know what the word is uh demonizing her or trashing her and it was mainly just because I don't like trashing people like I just find it abhorrent and I don't like it as a, as a, as a thing and for that I think I've definitely been sidelined somewhat um there's definitely been a a sort of a line in the sand that was drawn and and I never said anything about it publicly. I always thought, just get on with your activism, get on with your work, do your work, and that will speak for itself. But, I mean, I, I, I was quiet for like four years and now I've just started to speak out because I just feel like sometimes that not saying anything, it's allowed this narrative to be crafted and created. And and it is it is damaging and I don't like to speak out about it. I really don't. But I just feel like I've had enough because it's not just Posey that gets damaged. It's all the women around her. And this is one thing that I don't think people understand about we're called fangirls and stuff. But it's not. It's just when you're at an event and that event is then slurred as a right wing hate rally or however it's framed, it's very subtle. So it's very hard to call it out directly. That's a slap in the face to all the women that were there. And and I know many of these women, and 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 they're not what they're told to be. Set, you know, they're not what they're told to be. Um, and I just find it so damaging and hurtful. And and like I say, I mean, you're you're a woman who I respect because you have done so much. You've done so much work, and you you know you've you've all the all the things that you've ever done. And it's a bit like the women on the left. There's a lot of women on the left who've done a lot of work, but none of it seems to matter when they're called transphobic and. I feel like there's a similar pattern emerging when, you know, it doesn't matter how much work you've done, but nothing matters when you're seen as a friend of Posey, you know, and 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 I just I just find it all so damaging. And like you say, she I'll, I'll be honest, she's a friend of mine now, you know, like I didn't want to start making friendships in the movement because I felt like it would, what's the word, um, make me a bit more biased or what have you, but. I can tell you who supported me throughout the years and I can tell you who I know personally is actually a decent person and not that person that she's made out to be by certain people. And, and yeah, I just, I just think it's, I just, I, do you know what? I just think it's bullying and that's what it is. It, it, it feels very much like bullying to me and I, I don't like people who bully people and I don't think those sort of people have any right to be, in positions of authority or positions of morality to like stand there and then call out other people for their mis misdemeanors, you know, which are basically thought crimes or, you know, speaking to the wrong person because I've actually spent a few, I've spent a few days thinking about this, like what she actually done, what she'd done and all she's actually ever done is go around and speak to different people. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for speaking out about this. Thanks for your frankness. I, I want you to tell me a little bit more about Make More Noise um, and the the kind of work that you're doing there and, and how people can find and, and support the work that you're doing. So, yeah, I mean, Make More Noise has been going for about four years now. Um, it started out because um, I was kicked off Twitter and I decided to do something more productive and I wanted to have my own website which was independent which couldn't be shut down by uh, the rules of place like Facebook or what have you. Um, initially we never really discussed the trans issue. We had a 
we had a podcast called Suffragette City Radio, where we just talked about feminist events. And like I say, we tried to always do it in, in a quite accessible way to break down the jargon, um, sort of speak on a level, a normal level that people can understand. And that's been very much at the forefront of how I've gone about my activism. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why Jad, Jad uh, got, on, got on well with what, what Pose has done, because I think we're on the same level there. It's about trying to reach out to the women that aren't reached in other platforms. Um, I basically, I just, I, I do different bits when, when, when the urge takes me. I do a lot of protests, lots of different events. Uh, um, uh, my latest project is Wombs of the View, which is on the Make More Noise YouTube channel, which is a weekly uh, panel discussion, but it's basically just a Zoom call where women all over the world get together and tell us what they've been doing their, in their activism, um, making connections that way. Um, and yeah, just, I guess just, I'm going to continue, um, speaking out, um, planning actions, planning protests and, uh, writing more, writing more, uh, essays and yeah, just going on from there really. Great. Well, it was again, really great to talk with you and glad that we, uh, made contact and, I hope that we'll be able to stay in touch in the future. Thanks so much for your time. Louise, thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. I'm Megan Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current. You can find us online at feministcurrent.com, tweet at us at feministcurrent, or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com. We are hosted by Libsyn. And you can subscribe to the Feminist Current Podcast anywhere you like to listen. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, Megan Murphy. We have been sponsorship-free, wealthy, investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoyed this podcast and value independent women's media by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit feministcurrent.com and click the donate button.